بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا ما يحته الله فلا مضل له وما يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار. So today we continue uh, this short series on the ten rights which Allah Azawajal has mentioned in an ayah in a verse in Surah An-Nisa. And Shaykh Ubaid al-Jabri rahimahullah is giving us a a uh, brief and concise explanation or a summary of the important lessons taken from this uh, verse. In the first session, the last time that we met, uh, we basically uh, established that Allah that there are different rights mentioned in this verse. There are the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then there are the rights uh, between the servants. The Shaykh spoke about the categorization of these rights we also established that the rights, they are given by Allah because he is the creator and the one who creates, he is the one who owns and the one who regulates. And so Allah he laid down uh, the rights which are due, uh, his right to be worshipped alone and the rights of all of the creation, the rights of the prophets and messengers, the rights of the parents, the rights of the, you know, the general servants of Allah, uh, the rights of the ruler, the rights of the ruled, the rights of the, the children, the rights of the parents, and so on and so forth. And these rights, as we said, they are given by Allah Azza wa Jal. There's nobody else to issue you know, human rights or any other types of rights. These are rights which, which, which Allah Azza wa Jal, He gives and specifies for His servants. So then the first of those rights and the greatest, obviously, is the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. And that's why at the beginning of the ayah, وَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah alone and do not associate any partners with him. So the shaykh spoke about that briefly, uh, mentioning uh, some points related to methodology and how uh, because this is the greatest foundation, then, uh, meaning singling out Allah in worship, the greatest right then we have to also follow the way of the prophets and messengers in calling to this right, in establishing this right, which is to follow their way in rectifying societies by beginning with the issue of Tawheed itself and revolving all of the affairs around the issue of Tawheed. And so this is what distinguishes the call of the people of Tawheed and the Sunnah from all other calls. We look at other calls, we see some of them, uh, they uh, ignore the grave worship and the shirk which is found in their countries, in their societies. And instead they focus on other things, economic things, social things. There are other people, again, who, who ignore uh, this uh, grave worship or shirk. And they focus on removing the rulers or toppling the rulers and blaming everything upon, upon the rulers. That they are the source of every evil and so on and so forth. And so this, and then we have others who... Um, the, the, their, their understanding of Tawheed is just simply that Allah alone is the creator, the provider, the sustainer 
which nobody disputes. Nobody disputes that. This is, this is agreed upon. This is rububiyyah. This is Allah's lordship. And so this really is not tawheed. Right? This was not contested by the pagan Arabs. So this is not actually a call to tawheed that we find with many of, of the Sufis and Tablighis and people like this. Right? So, so the first right of Allah which is singling him out in worship is the greatest right. And um, you know, there are issues of methodology connected to that as well. So today the Shaykh in the next session, uh, the Shaykh goes on to explain the second right and so he, after sending, uh, after praising Allah and sending salat and salam upon the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he then goes on to say that in this lesson, in this gathering, we are going to speak to you about uh, a speech about the second right, which is mentioned in this verse, which has ten rights, and he says, "Wahada wahada al-haq huwa haqul walidain ala walidihima." This right is the right of the parents over their offspring or their child. And this is a great and mighty right, the Shaykh says, which Allah Azawajal, الَّذِي ثَنَّ اللَّهُ بِهِ فِي مُوَادِعَ كَثِيرَةً فِي مُوَادِعَ كَثِيرَةً مِنْ مُحْكَمِ تَنْزِيلِهِ This is a right which Allah has frequently mentioned as the second right in many places in the Quran, in the book. So, as you can see in this ayah, this ayah is chapter 4, verse 36. وَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا So he mentioned secondly, and to do benevolence towards the parents. The Shaykh mentioned there are many other verses as well from them. In Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 83. And in this ayah, Allah Zawajal says about Bani Israel, وَإِذْ أَخَذْنَا مِثَاقَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ لَا تَعْبُدُونَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا Exactly the same command to Bani Israel. So when we took the mithaq, the covenant of Bani Israel, that you will not worship except Allah and that you will show benevolence to the parents. Is another verse in the Quran that mentions where Allah has made it the second thing or the second right. Uh, similarly, we see in uh, Surah uh, Al-An'am, the sixth chapter, verse 151, and this is this is another passage where there are many important commands. And in this in this verse, Allah Zul He says, "Qul ta'alu atlu ma harrama rabbukum alaykum." Come, I shall recite to you or rehearse to you what your Lord has made unlawful or prohibited upon you. And then he said, That you do not associate any partners with him in worship. That's the first prohibited thing. That's the first thing which he's commanded. And then he said, And he has enjoined benevolence upon the parents. So here, this is chapter 6, Surah 6, verse 151. We see once again, immediately after the negation of shirk, which is affirmation of tawheed, then the rights of the parents are mentioned. And also we see the, the ayah which the shaykh is going to mention very shortly in Surah Al-Isra, the 17th chapter, verse 23. وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّا 
And your Lord has ordained that you worship none but Allah and that you show righteousness or benevolence to the parents. So as the Shaykh said, Allah has made this to be the second command or the second right in many, many verses of the Quran. And these are just, you know, three or four other verses. Now the Shaykh goes on to say that we, we will mention some of these verses and also we shall mention from the Sunnah some hadith which also establish this uh, great right. And the command is not only just to show benevolence to the parents, it also prohibits the opposite. And the opposite is So we have al-ihsan, uh, benevolence towards the, 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 the parents, but also the opposite, which is which is to cut off and there are various meanings that come under what this word means. We should look at them, inshallah ta'ala. So the shaykh goes on to say, that the right of the parents is mighty, or gathering of those who are listening from the Muslim men and women, whatever you may be. This right was not restricted, لم يقتصر على الحد على البر فقط so this great right wasn't just mentioned by encouraging good behavior and righteousness to the parents and that's it no rather this was also followed in the sharia texts by prohibition and warning against its opposite right which is cutting off ties with the parents and being you know, um, you know the, showing the opposite of benevolence. We should look at that, inshallah ta'ala. So as for the first verse that the Shaykh brings, rahimahullah, it's the verse that we mentioned in Surah Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse 23. Your Lord has ordained that you worship none but him, none but he alone, and that you show benevolence towards the parents. And so the Shaykh says, as you can clearly see, this verse is very similar to the verse in Surah An-Nisa. The wording is slightly different, but the meaning is exactly the same. As for the statement of Allah Azawajal, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ What is the meaning of وَقَضَى قَضَى Meaning, أَمَرَ It means that Allah has commanded. He has advised, he's commanded. And so this qada, qada which is mentioned here, this is qada shar'i. It is not the qada kawni, right? So there are two types of qada. Qada meaning to pass a judgment, right? To pass a decree, to pass a judgment. And so this is of two types. And this is the understanding of the people of Tawheed and the people of the Sunnah. They always have a very clear understanding of these issues from the Quran and the Sunnah. So we believe that there is a qada, a qada, which is qadar, that Allah decrees every single thing that is going to happen, right? Every single thing that Allah has decreed that is going to happen, right? This is al-qada al-kawni. And then this qada here, in this ayah, in which Allah says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ 
And anywhere else in the Quran where Allah says, Waqala Rabbuka, or not anywhere else, but in some other places as well, the meaning is Al Qada al Shari, which means Allah is now making a legislative command, a legislative command in His Sharia. And so here, Allah began with His own right first, Waqala Rabbuka, Allah Ta'budu illa iyah. So he established his own right first, that only he should be worshipped alone. And this is the essence of the call of all of the messages, as we mentioned in the previous lesson. It is the foundation of the religion. It is the foundation of the religion and its basis, its pillar. And then after that, he mentioned the rights of others, and from them is the right of the parents. ihsana. The Sheikh says, we know that this is clearly the Qada Shari because if it was referring to the Qada Kauni, meaning the decree by which he simply decrees the events and the occurrences on the earth, everything which happens in the heavens and the earth, if it had been that, then nobody would be worshipping other than Allah and no would, nobody would be disobeying the parents. Right? If, if that was the qada, if it was qada kawni, if it was the decree that relates to the, the qadr and what happens, that Allah had decreed that you do not worship except him alone and that you have benevolence towards the parents, then everybody would have done that. And so clearly that's not the case. And so we know that here this is qada shari. Qada shari. This is meaning a legislative command that Allah has uh, declared and which he likes for the servants and wants for the servants that they fulfill this command for their own benefit and for their own welfare in this life and the next life. The reason why this distinction is important is because, as, as you know, there are among uh, the Muslims or those who, those, who ascribe, <clears throat> those who ascribe to Islam, those who claim and they say that whatever Allah decrees is automatically loved by him and so therefore everything that Allah decrees is something that he is pleased with and which he's which, which clearly he must have legislated otherwise you know he would not have decreed it so they do not make the distinction between the qada shari that which Allah has ordained and commanded in his sharia his revelation and the qada kawni, that which Allah has decreed and ordained to happen in his creation. So they merge these two and turn them into one. And what is the end result of this, of this, of this misguidance? The end result is that everything which happens, Allah is pleased with it because he's decreed it. And so therefore a consequence of this is that all religions are therefore legitimate and loved by Allah and they are just simply different ways to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore what the Yahudi practices what the Nasrani the Christian practices what the Buddhist practices what the Hindu practices what every other uh, you know worshipper by way of any religion then all of that is just a different way to approach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all of it is good, all of it is true, all of it is, is true religion 
And this is the most futile of falsehoods. Right? It, it, is, it is disbelief in Allah, in his books, in his messengers. And this shows that um, there are many different entry points for misguidance. Right? So a person may not necessarily start off by believing that all religions are legitimate, for example, right? But there could be an entry point, a shubha, a misconception, such as this one, for example, where you do not distinguish between the, uh, you know, the, 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 the qada the, the, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the irada of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the irada kawniyya, right? Which is the, the wish of Allah that relates to what he wants to happen and wishes to happen in his creation and the irada of Allah which is related to the to the uh, sharia meaning that what, what that which he wants and requests from his servants from a legislative point of view from the sharia point of view right so someone might not distinguish between these two for for for, for reasons uh, for, for some other shubuhat and as a as, as a result of this misguidance he will be led to believe, well, if whatever Allah wills and wishes, he must be pleased with it, then that means all religions must therefore be legitimate. And so anybody who worships whatever he worships, then it must be sound religion. And this in turn leads to something else, which means that anything worshipped and everything worshipped must therefore also be a deity. Must, must, and then we are lead, led into pantheism, right? We are led to believe that everything is Allah and Allah is everything and he is in all places and existence is only one, right? There's only one existence, all of it is Allah. So it leads to other tremendous types of uh, misguidance. So we need to clearly understand uh, these words when they occur in the Quran rabbuka, here it is being used uh, to mean that what Allah has commanded by way of his, in, in, in his sharia so this is the first verse anyhow which establishes the right of the parents uh, the great rights of the parents the second verse that the shaykh mentions is ayah in uh, surat al-luqman chapter 31 verse number 14 in which Allah Azawajal he says وَوَصَّيْنَا الْإِنسَانَ بِوَالِدَيْهِ حَمَلَتْهُ أُمُّهُ وَحْنًا عَلَى وَحْنٍ وَفِصَالُهُ فِي عَامَيْنِ أَنِشْكُرْ لِي وَلِوَالِدَيْكَ إِلَيَّ الْمَصِيرِ Allah Azawajal said we have enjoined upon a man with respect to his parents, meaning good conduct, benevolence. His mother carried him with weakness upon weakness, meaning while she's pregnant, having to suffer weakness upon weakness. And his weaning, meaning from being breastfed, his weaning is two years. Right? That you should be grateful to me and to your parents, and to me is your return. So here Allah is mentioning the 
tremendous hardships that the mother has to go through in order to carry to carry you and to bear you for you know for that term for that nine months having to suffer weakness upon weakness and the fact that also your weaning is in two years meaning you are breastfed for a period of up to up to two years and that given this you should be grateful to me and to your parents and to me is your return so the sheikh rahimahullah once again says that we see in this ayah we see the right of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the haqq of allah because he said anishkur li that you should be grateful to me and the gratitude to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously the greatest pillar the foundation of gratitude to allah is of course to single him out in worship it is to worship him alone purely and sincerely and this has already preceded and then second he said and to your parents and so the meaning here is to be grateful to your parents for what they did for you uh, from the time that you were carried in the womb until you no matter what age you reached because they are with you showing you you know they are they are with you showing you compassion uh, mercy service gentleness and so on and so forth and until even the sheikhs is until some of you might even reach maturity right? it's not not just the case that a mother for example takes care of you looks after you you know till you reach the age of say four five six or seven many of you who are who are who are baligheen, some of them who even reach the age of maturity they still are in need of the help and the service of their mother um, or, the, or the parents and especially the mother who might you know serve and aid and and you know expend many many efforts to look after uh, her children even though they've already reached the age of uh, maturity and uh, this happens these days because by and large uh, children reach maturity at, at a much later age today than, than they when they used to many many years or centuries or even decades back in fact and we know uh, as we all know from from experience and from history that uh, children would mature and become adults at a much or what is understood today to be to be an adult at, at a much much uh, younger age but today we see that there are you know children who reach the age of age of 15 until even 18 until even in the societies of the non-muslims they have this debate and they have this discussion and you even see it in some of the, the, the research papers as to what exactly is adulthood these days. And although historically they've had it at the age of 18, for example, now they are questioning as to whether it really should be even, even later because, and some of the things they mention is that we see, that we see uh, sons and daughters living with their parents till, like, till the age of 28, 30 and still requiring the service of their parents to wash their clothes to you know do other things like that and so uh, this so the, the point being that we know this happens uh, these days children age of 13 14 15 16 17 18 are still in need of the service of their parents or their mother and so given that the sheikh says especially even even given this then all the more so it shows how respect and benevolence and kindness you know it, it should be shown to the parents as 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 a means of gratitude right and this follows on and has been connected to 
the gratitude that we show to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these, these connections have been made in the Quran. And that's why also we see uh, in uh, Surah Al-Isra, uh, chapter 17 as well, in which Allah Azawajal, He says, وَخْفِدْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ That lower to them or show them the, 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 the side or the, the aspect of humility, the wing of humility, and say, وَقُلْ رَبِّ رَحَمْهُمَا and say, oh my Lord, show mercy to them. Kama Rabbayani Sagira. Just as they nurtured me when I was small. When I was small. So as the parents raised you, nurtured you, then show mercy to them. Show mercy to them just as they showed mercy to me when they raised me when I was small. So all of this indicates the tremendous uh, status of the parents, and in fact. The greatest of them in having this right is the mother. And that's why we see that it was said to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in an authentic hadith, Man nas bi sahabati. Who is the most worthy of people of my good companionship? Of my good companionship. And he said, Ummuk, qala ummuk. He then said, then who? Then it is your mother. Then he said, then he said, who then? He said, ummuk. And then he said, then who? Then he said, so he mentioned it is your mother. Then he said, then who? Your mother. Then who? Your mother. Then who? Your father. So of the parents, obviously, the mother has the greatest right uh, because she is the one who bore him and she is the one who had to suckle him. She is the one who had to raise and nurture him. And so all of these toils and hardships are unique to the mother. And so the sheikh goes on to say, okay, now that we've established by way of these ayat, by way of this hadith, and there are other ha hadith as well, what exactly does it mean, al-ihsan, towards the parents? What is the, what exactly does it actually mean? The sheikh says, al-ihsan, uh, Al-Ihsan is to show righteousness to them, to show bir to them, and righteousness to them comprises numerous things. And then he mentions to us four important uh, points that help us to understand exactly what is righteousness to the parents. So the first of them he says, Ahaduhuma, Ahaduha, Husnul Khitab, Husnul Khitab, meaning, that when you speak to your parents, it is gentle, beautiful speech, it is good speech, it is benevolent speech, it, it, it is kind speech, that in the way you address your parents, it is kind, it is polite, it is courteous, it is respectful, the way that you speak to them, you know, you don't say, oi, and this, and, you know, uh, call them with, with you know, uh, vulgar kind of low type of language, it's respectful. Right, my mother, my father, it, it, it is good, respectable speech. And this is the first thing in the, in, in the very way that you actually speak to your parents. It has to be respect and courteous, number one. No, uh, number two is that you show um, uh, it is compassion and gentleness and you know, mercy, like it's like a merciful type of uh, compassion and gentleness 
that this is the nature of your attitude towards them, that you are, that you are gentle, uh, kind, uh, you have like a shafaqa, meaning that you, you feel um, like shafaqa is a type of, uh, type, type of mercy towards them. Uh, you show mercy towards them, compassion towards them, pity towards them. All of these things kind of combine together that this is like your, your general feeling and attitude towards your parents, right? Is one of compassion and mercy. Thirdly, al-jad fi khidmatihima which is to strive in actually serving them, making efforts to serve them in whatever way you can, to give them service, to help them, to aid them, to, to the daily cause that they might need to, to, to be done, uh, just to make life easy for them, to serve them, right? And that's the third element of birr towards the parents. And the fourth thing is Allah yas'am, and this fourth one is very important as well. It is that this that a person doesn't um, you know not become tired, not to become wary of serving them, and not to become kind of fed up of serving them, never ever to have this attitude or this feeling and you know that he should use as much as his power and ability uh, that he can to to serve them and never ever to as we said to tire and to give up and to you know feel fed up how much longer am i going to be doing this i've done this for 10 20 never ever ever to think like that right because you know this this is complete ingratitude as we shall see later on when, from some narrations from some of the companions and from some of the salaf uh, this, you should never ever feel like this because there's no way that you can provide the, 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 the service and repay the, the, the service that your, that your mother particularly has, has done for you and so therefore from bir itself is never to tire and never to become fed up of serving your parents so the sheikh goes on to say that these are just some of the verses that we mentioned and as far as the sunnah is concerned, we likewise find very explicitly in many a hadith, the shaykh will mention one or two, and from them is the hadith in which it is established that even jihad, making jihad in the path of Allah, that, this, that there is something superior and which comes before that, which is righteousness to the parents. So we see in the hadith related by Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, when the Prophet was asked about you know, which of the uh, actions are most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the first of them after the first of them he mentioned which is uh, prayer a prayer in its time and then he then said which one he said it is birrul walidain it is righteousness to the parents then he said then which and the messenger said it is al jihadu fi sabilillah so we see that the point of evidence here is very very clear that there is what is mentioned in what order it is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first which is to worship him by way of the prayer and then it is the right of the parents mentioned right next to that which is the most beloved of actions to Allah which is righteousness to the parents which is gratitude to the parents so once again we see in this text also gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the first right 
and in the second right, gratitude to uh, the parents. And the Sheikh then goes on to say, now coming on to the second aspect, which is which is cutting off ties with the parents. If you remember, we said that not only Allah not only has Allah commanded with righteousness and benevolence to the parents, but he's also followed that up, as we see in the Sunnah, with the prohibition of cutting off ties with the parents or harming the ties or you know bad behavior which we shall explain what that means so he goes on to mention the hadith one of those a hadith is the hadith of abi bakra radiyallahu anhu who said that the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said ala unabbiukum akbarul kaba'ir shall i not notify you of the greatest of the major sins, of the greatest of the major sins, they said, of course, he said, it is to commit shirk with Allah and which means cutting off you know, with the parents. So it doesn't mean cutting off, it means bad behavior towards uh, the parents and severing oneself from uh, the parents and this we see as the sheikh said just a paragraph earlier that this is warning against cutting off ties it is the greatest of major sins after shirk and um, you know we have this hadith and the hadith is very very clear in meaning the sheikh goes on to say asnaf that the meaning of this uquq, what exactly is this cutting off of ties, then it comprises many, many things. The first of them is at-tadajjur min al-walidain. Right? So what are the things that enter into the uquq of the walidain? First is at-tadajjur min al-walidain, which means to be irritated by one's parents, to be angered by one's parents, to, you know, maybe they ask you to do something, maybe they do an action or they say something and you become irritated and angry, right? This is from the things that entail cutting off of ties with the parents. Obviously, this is referring to, uh, you know, kind of worldly affairs and, um, you know, there are situations in which maybe your parents might not be upon Tawheed, if it's, if it's a non-Muslim, for example, because even with non-Muslims, non-Muslim parents, we have to show benevolence and righteousness, as we shall see. Uh, but there are situations where they may say things which oppose the religion, which oppose what Allah is message. You might dislike those statements, that, that's fine. But obviously here we are speaking <clears throat> about kind of worldly issues and things like that, where you become irritated and angered, and you have no right to, to have this kind of feeling towards your Towards your parents, you should uh, bear and have patience and accommodate, and you know. So this is the first thing. This enters into a of, of of the walidain, and also from them, wamin is to uh, reproach and to scold them, right? To kind of tell them off and to scold them. This is is bad behavior towards. The parents. Also, وَمِنْ ذَلِكَ الْقَصْوَةِ 
Thirdly, it is to have this kind of harshness in dealing with them, that you are kind of harsh in your behavior and stern in your behavior towards them. This also is from cutting off ties with the parents. And also, this is kind of like it is to try to be, you know, to try to evade, to be evasive, to try to evade your duty towards your parents, to, try to get out of, you know, maybe your parents, maybe your mother tells you to, you know, to the, to, to the women, for example, to wash up or to clean up or whatever, and you, you try to evade, you try to find a way out of this, well, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. You, you try to evade serving your parents or doing what your parents have asked you to do. Right? So to, to, to behave like this, to evade and to escape and to find a way out and to kind of disappear when they are, for whatever reason, when this is also from cutting off ties with the, the parents. It enters into uquq al-walidayn. So the sheikh was on to then say, uh, mention another hadith which relates to cutting off of the parents. And this is the hadith narrated, uh, reported by Muslim from Ali bin Abi Talib, who is the Amirul Mu'mineen, the, 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 the fourth of the Khulafa, the rightly guarded Khulafa. And he said that the Messenger of Allah Sallam, he told us four words. And they are, لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ ذَبَحَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ to the end of the hadith. May Allah curse the one who sacrifices to other than Allah, who makes a ritual sacrifice of an animal to other than Allah, for other than Allah. May Allah curse the one who gives refuge to a muhdith. Uh, th th this means someone who has committed a crime, for example, he's committed a crime, and you give refuge to him. You, you, you protect him and give him shelter to, to shield him from you know, being caught and being brought to justice. It can also mean, as some of, the, some of the scholars explain, that someone who gives shelter to an innovator, to a mubtadir, right? And then he said, and may, may he curse the one, may Allah curse the one who curses his own parents. And so we see in this hadith again, similar to the previous texts, Allah first of all cursed the one who sacrifices to other than him. This now is a matter of tawheed and shirk, indicating the right of Allah to be worshipped alone. And then in the hadith, also he mentioned, may Allah curse the one who curses his parents. So now we see this issue mentioned along, you know, again with the first right, and this is obviously cursing the parents, which is, you know, cutting off ties with them. And the sheikh goes on to say that uh, in another hadith, inna min akbar al-kaba'ir an rajul Indeed, from the greatest of the major sins is a man cursing his parents. And then someone said, and how can that be? How, how is that, O Messenger of Allah? How does a man curse his own parents? 
And he said, Yasubbu abar rajul, fayasubbu abah, wa yasubbu ummahu, fayasubbu ummah. This happens when a man, he curses someone else's, some, someone else's father, so that person curses his father. Or he curses someone else's mother, and then that person curses his mother. So meaning that he who curses the parents of other people, then, you know, he is cursed by Allah. Because effectively, you know, this is a means for his own parents to be cursed. And that's why in this hadith, it, say, it is said, إِنَّ مِنْ أَكْبَرِ الْكَبَائِرِ Indeed, from the greatest of major sins is a man cursing his own parents. And so the Sheikh says, from this we know that cursing the parents happens in two ways. First is mubashir, it is direct. So a person curses directly his own parents. Or secondly, he curses, you know, through, through, he curses somebody else's parents and that person then curses his own, you know, his, his, his parents. And so these are just two hadith. Uh, related to uh, cutting off ties with the with the parents, and the Sheikh finishes uh, and concludes by saying, by you know, uh, uh, he, he seeks a pardon by saying that I haven't you know obviously treated this topic in great detail. If I was to treat it in great te- great detail, it would take a very very long time. Um, so the Sheikh, as you know, uh, he's given a, a concise kind of explanation, a concise. Um, explanation of this particular right and just to finish off in the time that we have left inshallah we can just add a few more things to do with birrul walidain just mention some of the kind of uh, benefits and just uh, as a recap kind of and some other texts first of all we've learned in this lesson so far how allah has connected the rights of the parents to his right and you heard many many ayat from the Quran, in which Allah he mentions his own right of being worshipped alone and not having any partners associated with him. And immediately after that, ihsana, right? And he enjoins benevolence with the parents. And likewise, he connected gratitude uh, to him, to gratitude to the parents. So this in itself shows the tremendous status of the bir uh, and ihsan towards the parents the second that we see that we already heard and there are other texts as well is that righteousness to the parents comes before jihad it is better than jihad in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we see in the hadith of Umar radiallahu uh, sorry Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu anhuma, that a man came to the Prophet and he said he was asking him give me permission to go on jihad and the messenger said ahayyun walidak are your parents, are they still living? And he said, Naam. So he said, fajahid. Make jihad with respect to them. And we have in another narration in, uh, reported by Muslim that a man came to the Prophet and he said, you know, I give you the pledge of allegiance to make hijrah and to make jihad and I seek the reward from Allah. And so the messenger of Allah he said, فَهَلْ مِنْ وَالِدَيْكَ أَحَدٌ Is there anyone alive from your parents? He said, uh, yes. He said, both of them. And then the messenger said, 
do you desire tabdaghil ajr min Allah? Do you, do you seek the reward from Allah? He said, yes. And so he said, farji' ila walidayka fa'ahsin suhbatihima. Return back to your parents and show benevolent or good conduct towards them. And from this hadith, many of the scholars, they deduced that it is not permissible for a person to go on jihad, to leave for jihad, except with the permission of his parents, as long as they are obviously, uh, they, are, they are Muslim, because righteousness to them is, you know, fardain. It is an individual obligation, whereas jihad in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, is fardu uh, kifaya. Um, you know, um, uh, unless of, because unless jihad has been specifically specified upon you by a ruler where ta'yeen has been made and you are dispatched, then obviously that's a different scenario or different situation. But other than that, uh, you know, obedience to the parents, righteousness to the parents has a greater, is a greater obligation than jihad in the path of Allah. Likewise, Righteousness to the parents is something that earns a man the pleasure of this, of his Lord, as we see very clearly in a hadith uh, in which related by Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma, who said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Rida rab fi rida al-walid wa sakhatul rab fi sakhatul walid. Very clear that the pleasure of the Lord lies in the pleasure of the Father. And the anger of the Lord lies in the anger of the Father. The displeasure or the anger of the Father. A very, very important hadith. It's an authentic hadith. Also, birrul walidain, righteousness to the parents, it enters a person into paradise. As we see in the hadith of Abu Darda, radiallahu anhu, who said that he heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Al-walidu awsat abwaab al-jannah fa-in shi'ta fa-adi' thalika al-baab awihfadhu. He said, the father is the awsat, is like the, the middlemost doors of paradise for you to enter so if you wish if you if you will then waste that door let that door go to waste or preserve and safeguard that door right very very clear that the father is the door towards paradise so you can either waste that door if you want or you can preserve and safeguard that door if you want which means really the parents are the route to entry into uh, paradise. And then we have another hadith from Muawiyah bin Jahima radiallahu anhu, anhuma uh, that, uh, that Jahima came to the Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, I want to go on an expedition, a military expedition. And I came to consult with you. And so the Messenger of Allah said, min um? Do you have a mother? He said, yes. He said, فَالْزِمْهَا Go and remain attached to her. فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ تَحْتَ رِجْلِيهَا For indeed, paradise is beneath her feet. For indeed, paradise is beneath her feet. Uh, 
And we also have another version of the hadith by At-Tabarani uh, who said, Alakal walidan, do you have uh, parents? He said, yes. So he said, Ilzimhuma fa'inna al-jannata tahta arjulihima. So remain attached to them for indeed paradise is you know, beneath their two feet. Also, also that indicates the great right of the parents is that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam made a supplication of humiliation for the one who has parents and the one who uh, has parents and especially parents who are elderly and he does not enter into paradise by way of them. So the messenger of Allah sallallahu said in the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu and uh, he said the messenger of Allah sallallahu he said رَغِمَ أَنفُهُ ثُمَّ رَغِمَ أَنفُهُ ثُمَّ رَغِمَ أَنفُهُ So the messenger said that three times which means that may his nose be rubbed into the dust right into the dust and sand and so this is like an expression of humiliation because the dust and sand is what people walk upon you know the animals walk upon the dust and sand people it's like the lowly place so may his nose be rubbed in that dust and sand and so the messenger said that three times may his nose be rubbed in the dust and sand and then he went silent and then the companion said who O messenger of Allah and then the messenger explained he said man adraka walidayhi inda al-kibr ahadahuma aw kilayhima thumma lam yadkhul thumma lam yadkhul al-jannah he is the one who reaches his parents when they are you know when, when his parents reach old age either one of them or both of them and then he does not enter into paradise meaning that he does not enter into paradise by having served them and giving, given them their rights which is from the easiest and the greatest of ways to enter into paradise and the scholars explain from them Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah that you know from the meanings of this hadith is Allah may Allah humiliate such a one because you know his nose being touched uh, to you know which is the one of the noblest is on the face and it has nobility um, that it be rubbed into the turab, the dust, you know, which is the place where people walk upon with their feet and all the, the dirt and filth, you know. Um, so it's like a type of humiliation and invoke, you know, making dua for humiliation upon upon such a such a person. So this indicates the great status, and especially when they reach uh, age, when they are in most need of you, of you to serve them to feed them, to help them when they are basically weak in their old age and they are much more in need, you know, than they were before that. Uh, so such a person who does not use that opportunity to enter into paradise, then such, such a person deserves to be, to be humiliated. Also, it indicates the greatness of the rights of the parents is that the Messenger of Allah explained uh, in, in hadiths, like, is there anything a child or an offspring can do to fulfill his, uh, to pay back, you know, his, his parents? And there are two texts that, that we'll mention here. 
first one is a hadith in which the messenger of Allah he said لا يجزي ولد والدا إلا أن يجده مملوكا فيشتريه فيعطقه in this hadith uh, the messenger of Allah he said that a, a son cannot fulfill like the, the obligation towards his father unless he finds his father as a slave someone who's a slave so he has no freedom he's you know got no rights and nothing and he's in bondage and he's a slave so he purchases him buys him and then he frees him right and then we also have in relation to the mother from Abu Burda that he saw Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu and a man had come who had came to make tawaf around the Kaaba and he was carrying his mother on his back literally carrying his mother on his back and he said to Ibn Umar oh Ibn Umar do you see that I've now served my mother so Ibn Umar said he said La, no not even a single um, what you call them the you know when the pregnant woman has um, the signs of, of the pangs of birth right the con the convulsion or the, the what's the, there's a word it slips me right now contractions. sorry contractions. contractions that's what the contractions of birth not even a single contraction no now this indicates that as we said if you remember early on about repaying back the parents and you know it's not possible for you to especially the mother there's nothing that's why you can never ever get tired and fed up of serving the parent or even worse you're trying to evade you know try to get out of duties toward your parents this is terrible this is this is this is uh, this is wrong it shows what a what a big big uh, crime it is and that's why the messenger that from in amin akbar al kabair from the greatest of the major sins is also righteousness to the parents is from the greatest and the closest of actions that brings a person closer to to paradise and this is a hadith of ibn abbas radiallahu anhuma that a man uh, came to him in fact this is this is not a hadith it's a narration from ibn abbas but a man came to him and this is found in uh, Sheikh al-Banahullah, he authenticates this hadith. A man came to Ibn Abbas and he said that I proposed to a woman in marriage and she refused to marry me. Then another man proposed to her in marriage and she signaled that she wanted, she accepted the offer of marriage. So I became jealous over this and so I killed her right so he killed a woman out of jealousy in the issue of marriage right so he said is there any repentance for me right so he killed a, a woman for that reason so Ibn Abbas said is your mother alive is your, is your mother alive he said uh, he said no. So then Ibn Abbas said, Repent to Allah Azza wa Jal and seek near to Him ilayhi Seek nearness to Him as much as you are able. 
now Atab bin Yasar, he said, I went to Ibn Abbas and I said to him, why did you ask this man? Why did you ask this man? Is your mother alive? So Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said, Inni la a'lamu amalan aqrabu ila Allah ta'ala min birril walidah. Indeed, I do not know of an action which is closer to Allah, the exalted, than righteousness to the mother, to the mother specifically. And so Ibn Abbas, in, in advising this man to, to make up for this great evil crime that he committed, which is to kill a woman out of jealousy on the issue of marriage, is to have righteousness towards uh, the parents. And also from that which is birrul walidain is to speak gently and likewise to feed the parents. This is a means of entering into paradise. And so this is the narration from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu that a man came to him and he committed many, many sins. And he mentioned these sins to Ibn Umar. So Ibn Umar said that these sins you mentioned are not from the kabair. So he must have mentioned a whole load of sins. And Ibn Umar said, well, these are not from the kabair. He said, indeed, the kabair are nine in number. Then he went on to mention some of the major sins, which is shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you know, fleeing the battlefield when the battle breaks out, falsely accusing a woman of you know, fornication or adultery, taking riba, and he mentioned some others as well. And then he said, uh, and, then he said and then he said, likewise, and the parents crying due to the child or, or, or the offspring cutting off kind of relations with them. So then Ibn Umar said to this man, so he said, these are from the, you know, from the Kabair. Then Ibn Umar said to this man, is your father alive? And the, and the man said, my mother is with me. And so Ibn Umar said, فَوَاللَّهِ لَوْ, uh, لو أَلَنْتَ لَهَا الْكَلَامِ وَأَدْعَمْتَهَا الطَّعَامِ لَتَدْخُلَنَّ الْجَنَّةَ مَجْتَنَبْتَ الْكَبَائِرِ He said, by Allah, if you were to be gentle in speech with your mother, kind and gentle in speech with your mother, and if you were to feed her food, give her food to eat, then you will certainly enter paradise so long as you avoid the major sins. As long as you avoid the major sins, then you will enter into uh, paradise. <clears throat> also, is from the affairs which are from Birrul Walidain, is to bring joy and to bring pleasure to the parents, to make them happy, to bring them sorrow, to bring them, you know, rejoicement and happiness. And, and you know, so this is from uh, the Hadith of Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma that a man came to the Prophet wanting to give him the pledge of allegiance for hijrah and he left his parents crying. So he said to this to this person, Irji ilayhima wa adhikhuma kama abkaitahuma. Return back to your parents and cause them to laugh just as you caused them to cry and so this shows that bringing again joy and happiness to the parents is, is from the bir al-walidain and finally we can finish um, with one one two more points first of all 
that the mother has the greatest right, as you know, we established that. And this is because the mother has something special and unique, first of all, that she bore the difficulty of pregnancy. This is one thing that the father doesn't do. Secondly, she bore the difficulty of actual birth. The giving of birth is now another tremendous hardship that is very, very painful and hard to bear. She had to bear that. The father doesn't bear that. The father impregnates, but he doesn't bear any of that. Thirdly, that she is the one who has to undergo the hardship of breastfeeding and looking after the child, right? So it's mainly the mother who does that. And all the, the hardships and the pain and the difficulty that come along with uh, feeding and, you know, uh, putting to sleep and, you know, cleaning, changing, all of the rest of it in the early years. These are three things that the mother does that the father does not do. And so therefore, we see that her right is greater. Uh, she is... Uh, special in that respect and therefore we have the hadith of Abu Hurairah anhu, who said that a man came to the messenger of Allah and he said man nas, ya Rasulullah, man sahabati. O messenger of Allah who is the most uh, deserving of people of my good companionship so he said ummuk thummaman qala ummuk qala thummaman qala ummuk qala thummaman qala thumma abuk so he said your mother then who? Your mother, then who? Your mother, then who? Your father. And then we have an, in another narration, uh, Ummuk, thumma ummuk, thumma ummuk, thumma abuk, thumma adnaka, adnaka. Which means your mother, then your mother, then your mother, then your father, then the one that is closest, then the one that is closest. Right? So it's laying down the rights in terms of all of the relationships and in fact this is what's mentioned in the ayah itself that we sh that we are discussing we should look at those other groups later in the in in the next lesson onwards inshallah ta'ala also and finally as we said all of this refers even to uh, this birrul walidain is not specific only to the muslim parents it applies even to the non-muslim parents until even you know if, if they were disbelievers and we see in the verse in the Quran regarding the non-Muslim parents, وَإِن جَاهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِمَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا وَصَاحِبُهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا If they, meaning the non-Muslim parents, try to make, strive to, to make you commit shirk with me, to associate partners with me, you know, that which you have no knowledge of, then do not obey them but accompany them <clears throat> in the world with goodness with goodness and from asma bint abi bakr uh, anha, she said that my mother came to me uh, mother was a, a pagan in the era of the prophet so i asked the prophet shall i keep the ties of kinship with her and he said yes and it, it is here that the verse in the Quran was revealed, which says, لا ينهاكم الله عن الذين لم يقاتلوكم في الدين To the end of the verse, Allah does not prohibit you from those who do not fight you for religion and expel you from your homes, that you antabarruhum, that, that you are kind and uh, benevolent to them, and that you are just towards them. Right? So, 
righteousness towards the parents comes under this verse, right? That they do not um, uh, fight you for your religion nor expel you from your homes. And so here, al-birr, which is righteousness, and also justice in your dealings with them is enjoined, enjoined even upon non-Muslim parents. Until even if they were to try to argue and debate with you and try, try to make you become a Christian, make you become a Jew, make you become a Hindu, make you become a Buddhist or whatever it might be. No, you don't obey them in that, but you still, you know, you still um, uh, show righteousness towards them. And so we will finish on this point, and this also actually uh, refutes and exposes like the Islam haters, many, many great evil Islam haters um, who try to portray and present the image that Islam is all about killing the infidel and making him convert to Islam and all of these nonsensical ideas. These people are deranged and mad. And um, you can clearly see just even from, uh, in fact, the scholars, they discuss, you know, what is the basis upon which we actually make jihad in the first place? That jihad is to make Allah to raise the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And raising the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala occurs in numerous ways. It can be by way of da'wah to Allah, which is the foundation, the asal, is to make da'wah to Allah with wisdom, with good calling, with good admonition, with arguments in ways which are best. And so as we uh, announce the call to tawheed and we you know, call people to, to uh, tawheed and to Islam and to justice and so on and so forth, then... If there are hindrances and if there, are, if there are people standing in the way and they want to hinder this peaceful proclamation and, you know, they, they, they fight and they whatever, then in that case, then uh, jihad is legislated to fight against those people. And the scholars explain it is only against the combatants, right? So what's, what's the basis for the fighting? What's the illa? It is, it is not just kufr on its own. It is not kufr, it is because of muqatala, because they, they're fighting you, right? So those who fight, you fight them back. And those people who are non-combatants, like the women, and say that the priests who are in the monasteries worshipping, and the people who are just doing their jobs, like there could be a farmer doing his job, and somebody else doing his job, and they're just preoccupied in their jobs. You don't fight, you don't kill them either, right? This is clearly explained in, in our sharia, and the scholars have explained these rulings in the sharia. So if it was the case that, you know, uh, jihad is to forcefully convert every single individual and to eradicate kufr completely off the earth. Something we know Allah, you know, it's not uh, go go going to happen uh, unless when everybody becomes a uh, Muslim in the time of Isa alayhi salam. But prior to that, no. Uh, and that's why, as we said, that certain categories of people, they are not to be killed because they are not combatants. So it shows that the reason for fighting cannot be to eradicate every single kafir from the face of this planet, right? And also what falsifies this lie is the fact that how come the Muslims then allow Jews and Christians to live, un live under their rule and to practice their religion under their rule? Because if again, if, 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 if the fighting was to fight and eradicate each individual disbelief then why why are these people allowed to live uh, with the Muslims under the Muslims given protection state protection 
to live and to practice their religion, then how can you reconcile that with, with these you know, uh, deranged claims of yours? You know? And so also from the evidences is this righteousness towards the non-Muslim parent until even if they were to invite you to their shirk, you don't, you don't obey them, uh, you don't follow them, you, do, you, do, you don't you know, listen to them, but you still uh, show benevolence and kindness to them in all of the ways that we mentioned previously. This applies even to the non-Muslim parent. So how can you reconcile that with the claim of these lunatics? There's many of these lunatics, Robert Spencer and you know, deranged fanatics. They, they, you know, they're mentally something not right with them. And they tell deliberate lies about Islam, knowing all these things that, you know, um, and then what they do is they take the actions of like ignorant people, jihadis, takfiris, you know, who are just the, the most ignorant of people about Islam, the Sharia, and so on and so forth. And they just try to create like a whole narrative on the basis uh, of that. So all of this is, uh, we know this is not true. And this is from the greatest of evidences, the fact that non-Muslim parents, uh, they have the right uh, of, uh, you know, of, of benevolence, good behavior, and so on and so forth, even if they are mushriks calling you to their shirk. How can you reconcile that? You, you can't, right? This is where it all fall, falls apart for these, for, the, for these people. So with that, we'll conclude our lesson there for today. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahibihi ajma'een. Just one or two, uh, one or two questions here. Uh, quickly um, I think it's a connected question when speaking about rights do they apply if you're born out of wedlock um, well yes they, they, they are your I mean even amongst the scholars are those who hold that even a person who is born out of wedlock if the, the parent is known um, and the father claims him then you know he can he can be the you know he can um, uh, he can uh, be taken as the as the father essentially right there are some scholars who hold the actual view uh, so if they are your parents your mother and your father well yes you can you can give them that right out of benevolence and and so on and so forth it's just that certain things uh, in the view of, of of the scholars things like wouldn't apply such as the inheritance and things of that nature but this is an issue of uh, uh, that's like a specific issue, but in general, yes, you can show kindness and benevolence to your biological father and your and your mother. That's connected to the topic. Uh, the other question: Are the Salafis split? And amongst, or many claim that the Salafis uh, that they're Salafi but aren't united with with the Salafis. What what's that? Okay, I'm not sure what that means, but but basically. Um, what we have to understand is there, there are some things which are very, very clear and very apparent to us, alhamdulillah. Like we know that within the Muslim nation, there are different uh, sects and groups and they are very apparent and clear, right? Any Muslim knows that if somebody says the companions are all disbelievers and they left Islam, everybody knows this is misguidance, right? The Rafidah, the Shia who say this, we all know this is misguidance. 
Sufis who worship graves. We know this from our fitrah, this is wrong and this is misguidance. There are some things which are very clear and apparent to, to the average person, right? Certain sects, certain groups. However, where it becomes confusing, and especially in the modern era, in the contemporary time, where many, many people have realized, hang on, that if we ascribe to the Salaf, it will give us some legitimacy, right? We, we, we will, you know, we will, we will um, even to be honest with you, even like the Sufis now and other people, they try to make it look as if they are following the, the way of the Salaf. But the point being that amongst those who claim Salafiyyah, there are many who claim Salafiyyah, but in reality, if you look at their methodology, if you look at their behavior, if you look at their positions, if you look at their alliances, they cannot be reconciled with the way of the Salaf. And there are many, many people out there in the field giving da'wah online, you know, calling people, taking advantage of the internet, of the tube, uh, you know, trying to call people and draw people into their web, all under the guise of being upon the way of, of the Salaf. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah. Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah. Hay ala salah. Hay ala salah. Hay ala al-falah. Hay ala al-falah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah. So as we were saying that many, many people who <coughs> make use of the internet, the tube, the social media, and making an ascription to Salafiyyah, they try to draw audiences towards themselves. And when we look at them, uh, their positions, their loyalties, their allegiances, the methodology through which they give da'wah, it is very, very clear that they are not upon, upon Salafiyyah. For example, a person claims to be Salafi, he goes to another country, for example, and then in all, all the places he visits, they are, they are, they are the places of, of the Ikhwanis, places of maybe the Sufis, you know, he sits on their platforms, give da'wah. This, how, how, how can this be reconciled? And there you were there not to call them to, to Salafiyah, you were there to just teach them things about, you know, marriage and divorce or good manners or, you know, or you might even speak about Tawheed, but not, not in the way where you distinguish clearly between the people of truth and the people of falsehood, right? It's more to just to expand the audiences, you know, that you, that, that, that you want. 
So we can see, we know from, from a person's da'wah, his conduct, his loyalty, his allegiance, his friendship, whom he visits, <coughs> all of these things are very, very clear signs to show whether a person is truly following the foundations of the Salafi methodology or not. Anyway, that's, that's one aspect to the, to the question. The other aspect is, yes, the people of the Sunnah, when they see misguidance and they see mistakes in foundations and errors from amongst themselves, they will correct that and they will treat it in accordance with the, the right way. So from time to time, there may be someone who from among the people of the Sunnah, his heart changes, he deviates, he falls into error, misguidance, he invents new principles, and so he's advised by the scholars and he chooses his path. And so the Salafis abandon him and leave him because he's chosen his path of misguidance. Yes, this happens from time to time. And historically speaking, over the past 20, 30 years, we know many, many individuals making an ascription to Salafiyyah, uh, spoken of and refuted by the scholars, such as, for example, Abdurrahman Abdul Khaliq, Adnan Arur, Abul Hasan al Ma'rabi, and uh, more recently, you have the likes of Al Hajuri, and you know, so on and so forth. The, the, so, this shows that the people of the Sunnah do not accept error and misguidance, even if it is from someone who is within their ranks and beloved to them, when that person persists upon his mistakes and his errors. Right? So now to an onlooker, someone who's unlocking, they will see this, ah, oh, look at this, they all split. We have this group over here, the Hajuris, and this group over here, the, this ones and that, and they all, no. That's how you see it from your, you know, from your, from your kind of blinded vision. But we see it as, you know, we don't, do not compromise the truth and we are not blind followers. And even if one amongst us goes astray and makes a mistake, then it's our duty to clarify that. As opposed to these people, these people won't do that. Right? They won't do that. They won't speak the truth. And they, won't, they will make mujam and they will make compromise and flattery of people who make mistakes and errors. Whereas we as people of the same, we don't do that. Right? So sadly, um, you know, the, these people who have this like, perception towards uh, Salafiyah, then they are, they're not looking at it honestly and truthfully from the point of view of, of knowledge and weighing everything by the book and by the sunnah and um, there's a mention here of uh, a couple of individuals uh, uh, there's a mention here of what's your advice to those who take knowledge from the likes of Abu Taymiyyah and are sincerely looking for the truth you don't take knowledge from people like Abu Taymiyyah uh, this man is a the ignorant youth um, this is this is the fitna of the internet in that you know anyone can come along and he can market himself using Adobe Photoshop and uh, you know YouTube and uh, you know making make himself out to be a, a, a grand sheikh and uh, claim he's upon the way of the Salaf and not, none of this none of this is true this individual although I don't want to make a whole lecture out of this now uh, but this is just a confused individual. Uh, he was a Sufi grave worshipper in Yemen. Then he spent some time uh, with Al-Hajuri. Um, Al-Hajuri kind of deviated and then he spent some time defending Al-Hajuri for a while. And then he was with some of these other people, uh, Dawaman and uh, you know some of the Medina.com people. Um, and then more recently... Uh, he's found the tube and what he does 
is he steals other people's um, speech and insight on issues and pretends he is the one who's basically coming out with them, right? So there's videos where, for example, he'll take word for word something from Andrew Tate, you know, this Andrew Tate, right? So he's got two, he's got two phones with him in his car, sat in his car. In one phone or one device, or he's, maybe, he's got, maybe he's got it written out, he's got the words of Andrew Tate written out like this. And then when he's doing his podcast through his other phone, his, you know, through his live broadcast, through Instagram, whatever it might be, he's standing there going, yes, and you know, he's, he's rattling off the intellectual observation, whatever it was, I can't remember now, deceiving his audience into thinking that he's the one who's making this great, you know, intellectual insight about society and youth and whatever, and it's just word for word stealing it from Andrew Tate. Right? So this, this individual is just like a performance artist, right? They are good actors, how to put on the act and put on the show. Right? You see, if you look at his images of, of his YouTube videos, he'll have like Sheikh Albani here and Sheikh Bin Baz or Sheikh Nuthimin here in the background, you know, and then him in the middle with the light, you know, uh, the, the, the focus light on him. All of this is self-promotion. Right? You don't need to listen to this man. You just need to just look at the images and what he's doing. And you know this is a clown from the very beginning. Right? These, these are people who uh, their character is dishonest. And dishonesty is clear and apparent from what they do. They take other people's insights, works, you know, observations, steal it word for word, and then try to pretend as if it's, as if it's theirs. And then to build, you know, kind of a an image of oneself. So the, the, these type of pretenders have always existed throughout history. And the great danger today is that it's very, very, very easy to put on this type of show because the technology exists, the media exists, and also because, you know, it's not very hard to teach, and especially if you've grasped the Arabic language, because you can just pick up any book and start teaching. You know, and to an audience who's not really familiar, um, you, you can come across as, as a very, very learned uh, person. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's taking advantage of the fact that many, many people have a thirst for knowledge. They want knowledge. And it's like a huge open kind of like a market, to, so to speak, that if you can position yourself in the right way and make yourself out to be you know, whatever, 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 whatever image you're presenting, you can get a large, large following. And that's exactly what people like uh, Abu Taymiyyah have done. And there's others like him as well, uh, Muhammad Hijab. You know, this, this has all come about in the era of the tube, of, of the video where you can, you, know, pro, uh, you can broadcast yourself and your voice and, you know, a tremendous tribulation uh, of the age you know, when you have everybody calling left, right, and center, and you can't tell who's genuine, who's not genuine, uh, because you don't know their history and the background. And so I advise you not to, not to listen to uh, people like this. Uh, and you don't need too much knowledge or intelligence to see through people like that, to be honest with you. You can just see the way the man is promoting himself, and, you know, it's, it just doesn't fit with, you know, anything which is genuine, scholarly, you know, uh, it's very clear and apparent. So avoid these people. Uh, I know there may be many thousands of people genuinely seeking knowledge and they are taken in by the dazzle and the display and, 
Uh, but this is, this is how it is. This, this is how people get misled and deceived by these types of uh, things and by these types of uh, individuals. Anyhow, there's a lot more that can be, can be said. For example, you know, he tried to defend one of his teachers, Abdurrahman Hassan. You know, Abdurrahman Hassan is in the Emirates now. He returned from wherever he was. Uh, he had kind of some shady teachers in Egypt and elsewhere. But he returned to the UK and he tried to be clever and smart and started to debate with some hardcore takfiris and khawarij. Right? The Hizbut Tahrir follower that he went to debate with. So he went to him, met with him, praised him, came, he raised up a pen. He said, look, I have a pen here. I've come, I've come as a student to learn from this man. And this man, he makes takfir of the rulers, declares Ibn Baz, Albani, all the scholars to be apostates, disbelievers, Makkah and Medina to be uh, Darul, uh, Darul Harb, Darul Kufr, whatever it might be. And he's flattering this man. I've come to you with my pen here as a student. And then he's trying to debate him. And he can't even win him in the debate about you know, the, these positions. And then when, he was, when it was said to him that what you did was wrong, and Sheikh Abu Hadija, Sheikh Abdul Ilah, they refuted this man and what he did. He then came out to try and defend himself by saying, why are you attacking me for sitting with this Khariji Tahriri when the Prophet himself and Ibn Abbas himself, they praised the Khawarij. So you know, he tried to use this to defend himself, right? But this is a lie against the Prophet because the wasn't praising the Khawarij when he said that you will belittle your prayer to their prayer you will belittle your, the, the Qur'an. He wasn't intending to praise them, right? Rather, he was actually saying, speaking about how vain their actions will be, that these actions seem, seem to be so great and appealing, but it, it's all based upon uh, nothing, right? It was a dispraise of them, right? So he tried to defend himself, and then when five or six of the scholars spoke against him and this, these kind of shenanigans of his, then he tried to make a pretense of, you know, taking it back and whatever. But in all of this was Abu Taymiyyah and Dawaman trying to defend this individual blindly and fanatically without consideration of the actual evidence. Right? So these people are not people who, they're not grounded in knowledge. They've just found the tube, they found the internet, found the, the, the media, just like a child finds like a toy and is excited with the toy. And then they're just using it for uh, calling to whatever, you know, calling to, to in the case of Abu Taymi, calling to himself as a personality, as a sheikh of Islam, as a, you know. So we need, to, we need to be clear and to see through these types of individuals, right? And to warn against these individuals because they, they take the sincere desire which is found in many, many Muslims in this age and era to want to learn, to get closer to Allah, and they take advantage of that that emotion and that feeling and in reality they hinder people from the path of Allah by taking them to a certain level and then they just they, they want to hinder them from 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 many aspects of the truth so we have to be careful about these people and, and warn against these uh, people Allah knows best